Well, as I already hinted at in the prayer, the Lord is about to do a work right now that he has not done here for eight weeks, if you can believe it. We have not gathered together, opened our Bibles, and asked the Lord to speak to us for eight weeks. And for some of you, it has been decades since you have gone that long without hearing the word preached in person. We've watched sermon videos on the internet. We've listened to things on the radio since then, but it just isn't the same as hearing a pastor that knows you and loves you preach the word right to you in person. There's something special God does in this moment, and I'm so glad he has brought it back for us, even if in these strange and awkward circumstances right now. So what I want to do this morning is walk through first just kind of where God has us as a church. Uh, We'll do that pretty quickly, and then we'll move into what the Word of God says particularly to that. Uh, Interestingly enough, this psalm was scheduled to be preached uh, weeks ago, and here we are talking about it, uh, a very fitting message for the first day in a while in which we can hear the Word of God. We may need to turn this speaker down a bit, guys. That may be what's causing some of the interference. So where we are right now, many of us have not heard the word preached for eight weeks, and that's longer than it has been for quite a while for many of us. Uh, We are starved for the preached word of God. And at the same time, Uh, many of us had our habits wrecked by what happened in the last eight weeks. Some of us have had to stay home when we're used to going to work or we're working more hours than we're used to. Almost all of us different habits than we're used to, which as it wrecks all of our habits can very much wreck our devotional habits. And so I'm just assuming there are some among us who have fallen out of the habit of reading God's word regularly over these past weeks, leaving us in a situation where we are starved to hear from God's word. And we need this morning to be reminded of how much we need the light of his word to shine upon us. And as the Lord would have it, weeks ago, this psalm was picked out, which gives us that very message, a message we need in this hour. And so what I'm praying the Lord will do is just remind us how much we need his word as individuals, how much we need his word as a church, and how much the world around us needs to hear from the Lord. Let's read Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heaven, and its circuit is to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More are they to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The words of the Lord. So this psalm divides very neatly into three sections. The first one you could look at is verses 1 through 6, and then verses 7 through 11 being the next section, and finally 12 through 14 being somewhat of an ending there. The first section is meant to leave us in awe of the sun that is above us right now. We prayed all week that we would get to see the sun during this hour so that we could hold this service without too much hassle. And the Lord has answered our prayers and we can look up right now and see it in the sky. The, the great ball of gas that gives life to everything on the planet. The first section is meant to leave us in awe of that sun. And the reason is that, as verse 1 says, the sun and sky have a message for us. The sun acts as a prophet in our lives, proclaiming something to us that is as clear as day, but that we don't quite have the ability to discern. Now, I think most of us might be in tune with that emotionally. You see the sun come up in the morning and sometimes it's dazzling through the clouds with pinks and purples everywhere or other times it's just a mere yellow and maybe a little bit of orange and a light fade. But no matter what, it seems to be speaking to your heart. Your heart seems to be sensing something as the sun comes up. Or as you look up in the sky, even right now, you can just feel something in your heart. There is some awe that it leaves you and a humility that it gives to you. Sometimes that's even more pronounced on a clear, dark night when you see all of those stars in the sky. You can tell it's saying something to you, but we can't tell what it's saying. Its message is as clear as those planes that used to write messages in the sky. You remember that? They would write like Kurt loves Sheila or Bob loves Sharon or whatever in the sky. And you could look up and you could see it. It's that clear, the message that the sun and sky are giving to us. But we do not have eyes to discern it. We cannot understand it. And that is where this psalm comes in. It tells us what the message of the sun and sky are. And so before we get to what the message is, let's just look at everything the psalm tells us about the sun in that first section. Verse 2 tells us that that message comes every day. It says, day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So the message of the sun and sky are consistent. It is always speaking to us. If you were to close your eyes right now and someone asked you what the weather is outside, you could tell them without opening your eyes because either consciously or subconsciously, we've been paying attention to the weather outside. What it is saying is always heard. When the sky turns to cloud and storms, we hear and feel it in our houses. Its message is always heard. On a clear night, we're going to hear it. No matter what the conditions, the sky is making its presence known. In fact, Most of us have devoted multiple apps in our phones to learning what the sky will be doing tomorrow with the default weather app and then the other weather apps and then the third weather app. And then if that's not enough, you can turn on the weather channel on your TV and find out what the sky is doing because we are paying attention to what that sky is doing. What it is saying is always heard. The weather channel goes 24-7. We are always interested in it. Its voice goes out. The question is, what is it saying to us? And then at the end of verse four, 
in the beginning of verse 5, we see there that it narrows our focus from the sky to just the sun. We were looking broadly at the sky, and now we look narrowly at the sun. And it says, In them, in the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. This somewhat awkward symbolism of a bridegroom who comes out of his house the next morning just beaming and radiant. Uh, The modern-day equivalent would be honeymooners that have gone on their week-long honeymoon, and they knew each other for two years before they got married, and they were pure, and they waited for each other, and then finally the Lord has wed them, and they they belong to each other now, and they know the embrace in each other's arms, and they go on that honeymoon, and they come back, and they haven't had their dishwasher break yet and they haven't had a good fight yet. They are just glad to be in each other's arms and they come out of the airport just beaming and radiant, right? And if you're the one that picks them up from the airport and they sit in the back seat and you're just like, oh, stop guys. Like you're just so beaming and radiant and happy right now, just full of joy. Well, honeymooners do that for a little while and then it fades and it turns into something more lasting and more beautiful. Uh, The sun has that radiance every single morning. And if you are not ready to wake up when it comes up, you are thinking to it, oh, stop, like stop with your radiance, stop with your beaming, because it's going to come up when it's going to come up and it's going to change the world when it does. And the birds are going to start chirping and the light's going to start coming through your drapes. It will beam like this. So the way the honeymooners do that for a little while, the sun does that every single day, rising like a bridegroom, radiantly leaving his chamber. And verse 6 tells us that it starts on one end of the sky, goes to the other, and as it goes across, there is nothing that is hidden from its heat, meaning that the life that it gives, well, all life on planet Earth is affected by it. There are some caves down in Kentucky that some of you have been to, uh, and they go deep and deep, and we don't know how far they go. Some wonder if maybe those caves come all the way up here and are under us right now. We don't know because we haven't searched their depths. We haven't made it all the way to the bottom of those Kentucky caves. Uh, If we were to make it all the way to the bottom, I bet we would find some strange life forms there, some strange fish that are blind or some luminescent bacteria, or who knows what we might find down there. And you might think that it's hidden from the sun down there, but the truth is, if the sun were to go out in the sky and all of the life here on the surface were to fade, uh, the truth is that the whole ecosystem is connected and eventually those strange fish or that strange bacteria down there would perish as well for lack of the sun's lights here on the surface. There is nothing that is hidden from the life-giving power of the sun. All life is affected by it. And when it comes up, it does just what we see around here right now. It makes birds chirp, which if your windows are down, you can probably hear. And it makes the trees around you to bloom. And it makes the grass to come up so resilient underneath us. These wonderful life-giving things the sun does to us. Before we leave this section, let's just put ourselves in awe of it. Uh, Look around you and imagine what all of this life around us would be like if the sun were to go out for six months. What would the leaves on that tree over there be like if the sun went out for six months? 
Would this grass still be alive? Would we still be alive? Would this building and that building start to decay as its caretakers could no longer care for it? How decayed would the whole world become just from six months without the sun? And yet, because it did come up today, we look around and we listen to what the sun is doing to life. It's a marvelous thing. And God speaks a powerful message through it. So we see then that the sun is glorious, it is sure, it is enlightening, and it is life-giving. And in the next section, we learn what the message it's proclaiming is. What else is glorious, sure, and enlightening, and life-giving? Well, the psalmist will tell us, and I'll read just seven through nine right now, but as I do, look for those qualities that this thing shares with the sun. Glory, being sure, enlightening, and life-giving. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, and the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. What is glorious, sure, enlightening, and life-giving like the sun? The answer is the very words of God that are found in the scriptures. And that is the message the sun proclaims to you every day. It beams down and it says, as I give light and life to the world, so do the words of God give light and life to the heart. As all life depends on me, the son says, all life of the inner soul and heart depends on the words of God. And as we open it and allow it to shine on our hearts, we find the new life of spring welling up inside of us. The son speaks of the power of the word of God, and it does so every day. Verse 4 says that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It gives the soul new life. Just as the springtime rays of the sun shine down and make all the leaves to come out on these trees and make the rabbits come out and make the birds to chirp again and turn the grass green again, as it does all of these things, when we open this book and allow its springtime rays to shine on our hearts and on our souls, it brings to us new life. The book of Ephesians described how we once were as dead in our sin, but God gave us new life in Jesus Christ. How did he do that? It was through the proclamation of these words. And how do we find new invigoration day after day and week after week, the same way that the world finds new invigoration every springtime? We find it in these very words. A tree in the wintertime that has no leaves is sprouting nothing and appears completely dead. It will not sprout new leaves by trying harder on December 30th. And neither will it sprout new leaves if we try to employ the latest farming techniques or the latest tree growing techniques to get the thing to sprout early this year. That's not going to work either. The cold will remain. The sun isn't shining yet. And whatever does come up will wither. No, what the trees need in the wintertime is the springtime sun to shine on them. The trees don't need to act and sprout forth. They need to be acted upon by the sun to shine on them and give them new life. 
And the same is true for you. If your soul is dead in your sins, you don't need to try harder to blossom and grow. And neither do you need to try the latest self-help techniques and the promises that they give. Those promises you will find empty. It's not acting that you first need. It's to be acted upon. You need the sunshine of the word of God to shine upon your soul and give to you new life. For the laws of the Lord are perfect and they revive the soul. It goes on to say that his testimonies make wise the simple. Uh, These great trees around us did not grow tall and wise except for the sun shining on them. They didn't do it on their own power. And likewise, the wisest among us did not grow wise by thinking hard. They grew wise by reading the word of God. That is what the sunshine of God's word does in our hearts. Verse 8 says that the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. That's the type of flourishing God's words can give to the heart and a consistent and steady diet of it can do for us. If you would let the rays of this book shine upon your heart day after day, you can say along with the grass beneath us and along with the apostle Paul, I am always sorrowful and yet rejoicing. With this grass under us, I asked the building guys this week if it was safe for all of us to come and drive on it. And they said, oh, yeah, it'll be fine. It's strong, sturdy grass. We'll plow it to death, and then the sun will shine, and it will come back up. That's what grass does, right? And the grass beneath you right now that your car is sitting on, as soon as the car is gone, the sun shines on it again, and it's doing just fine again. This is somewhat of a picture of the Christian life always driven upon, always trampled upon, hardship after hardship. And yet we can say with the Apostle Paul and with the grass, we are always sorrowful, with many sorrows, and yet we are always rejoicing. Why are we always rejoicing as cars are driving over our proverbial grass? It's because the words of God are shining upon our hearts. It says in the second half of verse 8 that the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Are you stumbling through life wondering which way is the right way to go? Wondering which book on Amazon will guide you the right way? Which podcast will give you the right advice in life? What is the good life and how do I live it? Do you hear conflicting messages from the left and from the right and from everywhere else and wonder what the bright and shining truth truly is? Here is your light that will guide your path. Here is the light that will keep you from stumbling and errors on the left and errors on the right and to sift out the truth from the lies and the books that you're finding on Amazon, the podcasts that you're hearing. Here is the light that shines upon it all. And finally, it says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, and the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. As things change, to live in the fear of God under his word never changes. There is something in life that does not change, and we can cling to that with fresh joy right now. As we have to hold a worship service in a way that we never imagined, we can cling to the surety of the Word of God. As what was once an easy drive into the office is now impossible, and you have to do it from home, and the Sunday school classes that we almost took for granted are now having to meet online, and as the phones that we're still trying to figure out in our hands are going to be obsolete in a year anyway by the time we figure them out, as everything is changing around us and nothing seems sure, 
There is something you can cling to that does not change. Don't look in the world for unchanging sureness. Look within this book for unchanging sureness. It will not change and it will not fail us for it is righteous altogether. And so the son's message then is that just as it shines light and life on the world, the word of God shines light and life on our hearts. That is why verses 10 and 11 say what they do. You can see how valuable it is already. And it says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. This is true of both the sunshine and of the word of God. If you could have all the riches in the world at the price of the sun being blotted out of the sky, would you take it? I don't think you would, because without the sun shining upon us, your riches would soon be worthless. And it is the same with the word of God. If you could have all the riches in the world at the price of being cut off of the life-giving rays of God's word, it would not be worth it for all the riches would be empty and they would eventually come up short if we did not have the word of God to give us new life. We can't take any of it with us and it will feel empty all through life if we have not built our life upon God's words. That is why it says that these words are more desirable than much fine gold, and they are sweeter than honey. Young men, let me ask you if the word of God means more than the riches and the success that we are trying to set ourselves up for. What does that mean for the habits that you are setting up in your life right now? Well, it means that the studying we're doing so that we can be successful in the future is important. We should be diligent in all things, but nothing is more valuable than the habits we build around God's word, for they are what give life to our inner hearts, to our inner souls, and there is nothing more valuable than them. And so whatever effort we are putting into studying, into preparing for a successful career, into getting the next job and going up the next spot in the ladder, let us double down on the life-giving rays of God's word and let them shine on our hearts. Let us put twice as much effort into that as we do into anything else. Let me share with you an image from Psalm 128. Some of you know it well. Uh, Psalm 128 says that the man who fears the Lord is blessed, that his wife would be like a fruitful vine and his children like olive shoots around his table. And there's much embedded in that. It's not a promise that everyone who loves the Lord will have a great family life, but it's a picture generally of what tends to happen when a man raises his family in the word of God. Uh, They tend to sprout and flourish to life. And the question I want to ask is how would that happen? How would a, why would a God-fearing man tend to perhaps have a more God-fearing family around him? Why would his children shoot up like that? Why would his wife blossom like a vine like that? Well, the psalm gives us the answer. How do the olive shoots grow around the table in your home? It's by constant exposure to the sunshine, just like the plants in your garden. How can you raise your children in the fear of the Lord? How can you see your wife grow in the strength of God? How can you see that? You can see her flourish that way by exposing them continually to God's word. That is how the olive shoots grow around the table from Psalm 128. God's word gives life and light to the human heart. And so the last section of the psalm then leads us into self-reflection. 
We've gloried in the sun. We have gloried in God's word. And then we turn the lens on ourselves. And if your heart was at all moved in thinking about the sun and in thinking about God's words, well, then as you look to yourself, you will surely see your own shortcomings. You'll surely see and be reminded of the times where you let his word just sit on the shelf, right? We all have times like that in our lives. And that would lead us to reflect on those times and to weep over those times. Uh, it might even lead us to say, Lord, I, I can't think of anything right now I am doing contrary to your word, but I'm sure I'm doing something. I know myself well enough to know that I've got to have deceived myself and be doing some sorts of sins that I'm not aware of. And so it leads us to want to deal with both of those types of sins, presumptuous sins and the ones that we aren't aware of. And that's why in 12 and on, the psalmist writes, who can discern his errors, meaning who among us can find out our own sin, right? Declare me innocent, God, from hidden faults and keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the sort of reflection a psalm like this ought to lead us into. Just staring our eyes right at the times we have neglected God's word. Forcing us to acknowledge, you know, there are plenty of things I have done wrong before God and probably fooled myself into thinking we're okay. And then asking the Lord to make us righteous. So, the psalmist does three things then. He asks the Lord to forgive him of hidden faults in verse 12, and also to keep us from presumptuous faults. So that's the ones we don't know about and the ones we do know about. God, forgive us of both. And then third, he asks the Lord to make us righteous. And those of us that follow the Lord, these are the things we ought to be doing for the Lord right now. Just, just almost weeping, even weeping over the times we have neglected his word the rays of God's word could shine in our hearts any hour of the day and oh, for the times that we have neglected to open it and let it shine upon us. And for the times that we haven't even realized that we weren't walking in God's word. And then to ask him, God, would you, would you teach me to cherish your word and to live in light of it? Would you forgive me for my sins and make me righteous? Others of us, after looking at ourselves, need to consider the loved ones in our lives who resist God's word when we proclaim it to them. I talked this week to a woman who has been proclaiming the gospel to her brother for his entire life, and he has been hardened toward it. And she keeps persisting. She kept persisting to proclaim the gospel to him. And sometimes you're in situations like that, or you're thinking about your coworkers or your, your cousin or someone that you would love to share the gospel with, but you're thinking to yourself, would they ever listen? Like they are so hardened against God's word. Is it even worth it for me to to proclaim it to them over and over and over again, hearing rejection from them. What does that person need from you? Well, what if we just learn gives new life to the heart? It's the words of the Holy Scriptures. And so that person, if they're on your mind, what they need from you isn't another really good apologetic argument or some kind of gotcha question. What they need is for you to know the Bible well enough that you can quote it to them. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What will open their hearts to the gospel 
is hearing God's word read before them and hearing it quoted to them. So the best thing you can do is go in with prepared scriptures that you can speak and proclaim to them straight from God's word, not just your thoughts, not just your own heart, but God's words to them so that we might see their hearts opened up to his word. Before the wind blows me away, I'll finish things up here. Some of us here perhaps look at the word today and we can maybe acknowledge I am not a Christian. I do not build my life on this word. Or maybe you would just say that you don't see yourself as the kind of person who needs to be forgiven by God. You don't know why people are driven toward the word of God and toward the gospel for forgiveness. Why do we need that? And I pray that the the truth of this word would show you how good God is to give you his words and that it would then show you just how miserable a state we are in by neglecting his good ways and refusing to live in worship of him. The message that can give you new life is the message of this book. And that message is very simple. It is that Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus offers forgiveness to you. So turn from sin and follow him. May this word awaken your heart to that message that you might trust in him. And here, friend, the way that the word of God describes our hearts as in need of new life. If you are hearing this sunshine of this word from God's word, if it is shining upon you and it is not giving new life to you, but you remain dead in your sins, how does it describe you? You could think of it like a rock in space that is going by and the sun is shining on it, but there is no life on it. And you wonder, how could I be given new life? How could my heart become more like this planet with grass and trees? How can I have life in my heart? How can you have it by turning to the word, by receiving the message of the word that Jesus Christ died and rose and offers forgiveness for you? So I plead with you to turn and to follow him. Let's pray together and then we'll speak our benediction. Father God, we ask for you to seal now this message in our hearts. Would you indeed show us how much we need your word? Would you let us leave rejoicing at what you have given us this morning through your very words? Oh God, a whole book full of words from you to us. God, thank you for this. Oh God, would you declare us innocent from the times we have not kept your word? Would you give to us a great righteousness? strong habits of reading your word every day and then days and years and decades of living in your word. Oh God, would you give those things to us? Keep us from hidden faults too. Reveal to us our blindness of the things we've done wrong. Keep us back from presumptuous sins, we ask. God, you are so good. Show us how good your ways are. We ask in your son's name. Amen.